1: Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson.
2: Welcome, everyone, to another uh, episode of Common Sense. And uh, as I've said many times, common sense really isn't that common anymore. I hope everybody had a wonderful uh, holiday season. We're ready to jump with both feet into 2023. And uh, we are starting off this new year with a fantastic guest. A few weeks ago, we were at a dinner and my wife happened to sit next to this gentleman and she just talked about him for the next three days. <laughs> I said, wow, he's quite a person. And, you know, he's well known uh, throughout the world, quite frankly, for his investment business. Mr. Charles Johnson, he took something that was relatively small, made it into one of the world's largest investment corporations and uh, has become a philanthropist, a businessman, a role model, everything you might imagine. He's a fellow Yaley. And uh, both my my wife and I met at Yale. I think uh, he and his wife met there too. So there are some good things about Yale, despite what you hear these days about wokeness. There's a lot of good things there. How did you sort of developed such a great work ethic? What was, what was your early life like?
1: Well, after Yale, I, I was in the ROTC, I went to in the Army. And uh, it was a, actually a wonderful experience. I learned an awful lot in the Army, how to run an organization. that's large. I mean, we prior for six months before I went in the Army, I worked as a stockbroker for my father. And I learned about the mutual fund industry, and I thought uh, it was the best savings vehicle for the average person. At that time, the only savings vehicles were banks and insurance companies, and they paid 1% or 2% or maybe 2.5% in mutual funds over a period of time, which are invested in, in the market. For 100 years, the market average increase was 8.5%. Even though you had ups and downs, you had years when they were down 50%, but on on a long-term basis, the average. And so I I kind of fell in love with the mutual fund industry, went in the Army, and uh, my father had set up a, a small mutual fund. He was a retail broker for his, basically for his retail brokers to sell. And uh, he retired while I was in the Army. And I told him that I thought the mutual fund industry was fabulous and that I would like to do that after I got out of the Army. Mm-hmm. So I took over Franklin when I was 24 years old. We had $2.3 million under management. And uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I knew that we couldn't sell it through one firm, so we I set it up so that we would... Sell it through multiple brokerage firms, mm. and it was a, a tough slog. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm at, sure it was a
2: big learning experience because there, at that time you really didn't have a lot of role models to model yourself after.
1: No, there were the biggest mutual fund at that point uh, had about. It was Investors uh, Diversified Services had about. Two million under management. I mean, two billion under management, and uh, so it was a it was a very small industry, and it really wasn't well known. And uh, a big part of its growth had to be to educate the public. So, you know that that was one of my endeavors. By I took that over in 1957, and we grown it to about 10 million by 1961. Mm. Uh, and
2: uh, and of it, course it, today it is a multi-multi billion dollar <laughs> endeavor.
1: <laughs>
2: but but you look you look so young to be ninety almost ninety years old.
1: I just That's, turned ninety last week.
2: How how are you able to manage to stay so youthful?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know about that. If you if you looked at me close up, I probably wouldn't quite this. <laughs> was useful, <laughs> but uh, TV helps you. <laughs> uh, but but I, I have, I've exercised all my life, and uh, I think that had, has had a lot to do with my being able to stay active. And,
2: When's uh, the last time you ran a marathon?
1: Well, I, I ran four marathons when I was 50 and 51 years old. Mm. And, uh, so that was 40 years ago. That's a long time past, but I was, <laughs> I was in great shape at that point, as you can imagine. And That's fantastic. my goal was to break four four hours and the, the final marathon I ran in three fifty six. So I felt like I'd reached my goal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, um, as a, I always like having yellies on the program. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And you've been a big benefactor for you, one of the biggest ever. I, I think you were the primary benefactor for the two new residential colleges.
1: That, that's right. I,
2: I was on the Yale Corporation uh, some years ago and became very intimately involved with the university. But uh, I, I'd like to, to hear your thoughts about the wokeism that's going on in our universities today, do you, do you think it's just a passing phase, or are we really fundamentally changing into something else?
1: Well, I'm as worried about the future as I've ever been. Future of the country and its freedoms, and wokeism is uh, is a divisive, very divisive uh, philosophy and uh, I think is a cancer on America, on the United States. Uh, So I hope it's a passing fancy, but uh, it seems to be taking hold in our major universities and even in the armed forces.
2: I, I too, am very worried about it because they're starting at such early ages now, the indoctrination. And, of course, it was uh, Vladimir Lenin who said, Give me your children to teach for four years and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. Yep. And, uh, and that's why they're starting so early. By the time they get to college, <laughs> uh, they're pretty indoctrinated by that point. And it's going to take some people who really kind of understand what's going on, not to just attack them, but to help them to be able to discuss things because of what I've found in dealing with these young people is if you can get them to try to articulate the basis of their beliefs, they quickly run out of the ability to do that. And, but if you engage them in a pleasant way, you can actually help to change their minds. But if it's very confrontational, uh, they just dig in. And even though they can't explain the, the basis for their beliefs, they just dig further in and we have to understand that concept i think if we're going to make it as a society because it seems to me that the biggest threat to america right now is divisiveness and hatred it's not it's not russia or china or north korea or iran but it's us allowing ourselves to be manipulated and uh thinking that we're each other's enemies, just because we may have some disagreements. And as I always say, if two people agree about everything, one of them isn't necessary. And, uh, you know, we, we just really need to, because when you think about the early history of our country, we had diverse communities, uh, very frequently 20 families, 50, 100 families, isolated from everybody else, and yet not only did they survive, they thrived, because even though they had differences, they, they knew how to work together for the common good. And uh, that has characterized the rapid ascent of our nation, and it will characterize the rapid descent if we don't get our hands around it pretty soon.
1: Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, you wonder where it's coming from, because it's extremely well-organized. Yeah, it is. You know, they've infiltrated the schools, the grammar schools, uh, the colleges. And how, how has that happened? And how has it happened so fast? It's, it's uh, you know. Yeah. very or,
2: or has it been a long time in the planning? Because uh, Khrushchev, you remember him. Uh, told Eisenhower, your grandchildren 's children will live under communism, and we won 't have to fire one shot so i I think they've sort of been planning our demise for a long time, and you know part of that involves gaining control of the educational system, and another part involves gaining control of the media so that you can spoon feed the people and shield them from what you don 't want them to know, replacing faith in God with faith in government raising the national debt to astronomical limits so that you can justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth, and complete dependency on the government. All of that seems to be going on. What, what do, you, do you think that there may be some real organized plan, or is it just the natural devolution of society? Well, have,
1: it's interesting because I have a theory that's a little bit crazy. People will look at me as insane. <laughs> But Russia, when it had its revolution, one of its primary goals was world communism. And they came to the U.S. in the 30s and made some good headway. There were candidates running under the Communist Party as as late as the uh, early 1950s. Uh, The Cold War, I think, and uh, the takeover of Eastern Europe, I think, ended that in the U.S., But I think it's still there. And I think we're in another Cold War with Russia and that they are using uh, technology and other things to undermine our country and Mm -hmm. putting forth the narrative and to be divisive and to that that our heroes of the past, the Washingtons and Lincolns, were not heroes at all. They were bad people Mm -hmm. and had bad motives uh, but that's that's uh, you know a step towards destroying our patriotism yeah. in our country.
2: Well, I think you're exactly right. I don't I don't think that's far out at all. I think it's very logical. And you no, know, you're obviously a very smart man. You're Yalie, so that tells you <laughs> you're smart. But being a Yalie doesn't mean that you're wise. And you have demonstrated great wisdom as well. That's that's I think what separates. Uh, the people who really become successful and are beneficial to society and we'll be back in just a moment we have to take a short break and we'll be back with our fascinating guest charles johnson Okay, and we're back with uh, Charles Johnson. Uh, if you want to be impressed, look him up. Of course, there's a thousand Charles Johnsons, but uh, you'll be able to find him pretty quickly. He was born in 1933, so use that as your marker. And he went to Yale, and he's a fabulous uh, businessman, uh, philanthropist, based uh, in Palm Beach, although I think most of his career was spent in New Jersey. So with that information, you should be able to find a lot of information on him. He's very, very impressive uh, gentleman. Now, uh, you're obviously very well-versed on economic issues. Can you tell us what the heck is going on with this inflation that is spiraling now when it was under control for such a long period of time? What do you think is behind it?
1: Well, there's one major factor, and that's government spending. Uh, you can't keep pouring uh, borrowed money, which we've done, uh, into the economy without causing inflation. And the national debt has gone. In 2009, 2010, uh, the national debt was $11 trillion. Now, that is 12 years ago. The national debt now is 31 trillion, and it's borrowed money that has been stimulating the economy, and uh, that creates inflation. Always, when you overspend, the same thing basically happened in the uh, in the early 70s, and we had a huge inflation that was finally uh, brought to a halt by. Crazy interest rates. The prime rate got up to twenty-two percent before it broke inflation.
2: Yeah, I remember. I remember what was happening to the housing uh, industry with those tremendous mortgage rates, and I remember very specifically when things started cooling down, and you could get a seven, eight, or nine percent interest rate. People were jumping for joy. Right. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> It's all relative, you know. But uh, I, I think your point is that a lot of this is self-inflicted because, you know, a lot of the economists like to say that we have a natural cycle in the economy. It ebbs and flows. And it doesn't have much to do with, with the people. And I just think that that's a bunch of crap. I think what happens is we have people in charge who understand the economy and then we have people who have no idea what they're doing and and that's why we have these big swings ups and downs and you know hopefully we can at some point learn how to work together and do the things that actually benefit the people not necessarily the things that empower a political organization but uh, i hope that's not just a pipe dream something that can actually be done but uh, you probably have been sort of following the stuff that's been going on with the cyber currency and the the
1: young man, the <laughs> the poster boy for what I believe is essentially a fraud, and uh, starting with Bitcoin, I've been I've been against cyber currencies because there's nothing behind them except in people's enthusiasm to buy them. And uh, they go up and people say, gee, I, I'm going to buy some because it goes up. But there, there's essentially no nothing behind the cyber currencies. There's no guarantees. I mean, you look, They people compare it to the dollar. The dollar is backed by the greatest country on earth, and that's behind it. The cyber currencies are backed by essentially promoters.
2: Right. Well, you know, anytime you have people trying to get rich quick, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to get left in the wake. And uh, if people just learn that lesson, you know, you sort of get what you pay for. You put in the work and you're diligent and you're honest things somehow have a tendency to work out. You may have some rough spots here and there, but for the most part, things tend to work out. And, uh, you know, I just want to compliment you for the fact that uh, you have been so generous with the wealth that you've accumulated to try to impact what's going on in our society in a positive way. And there are a lot of people who don't do that, you know, You know, we both live in the Palm Beach area, and we know that there are a lot of very wealthy people here who are not like that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I sometimes argue with people about, you know, they're always criticizing the wealthy. But the top 1% income people here pay 37% of the federal income tax. That's a lot. And if they weren't there, what would happen to our society? And all of those people who who want to, you know, get rid of the rich or somehow punish them, do they recognize where the jobs, where the stadiums, where all of these things that they enjoy come from? They don't come from the poor person, believe me. And, um, you know, part of the American dream has been – that people can be successful. And being successful doesn't necessarily mean being greedy. It means that you've been able to look around. You've been able to become well-informed. You've been able to use that information in an effective way to improve your life and to improve the life of other people as well. What kind of philosophy governs your philanthropy?
1: well i try to promote uh education i promote medical research i really have a, a broad spectrum of several hundred charities that i give to every year the ones that i think are good are beneficial to the people of the u.s and the people of the world mm-hmm. and uh, the uh the The nonprofit organizations that uh, operate throughout the world do tremendous, tremendous good. Absolutely. It's much more efficient than the government taxing and then the politicians deciding where to spend the money. That's that's the alternative to capitalism.
2: You have made a major statement there. (laughs) That's for sure. We are going to take another very short break, and then we'll be back with our fascinating guest, hear what some of his thoughts are on the United States' sovereignty with respect to our southern border, and also to hear a little bit about what role faith plays in his life. We'll be right back.
0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com/slash/metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again.
2: okay and we're back with mr charles johnson fascinating american success story and i hope you will avail yourself of information about him because it's really quite inspiring now charlie i want to ask you about what's going on at our southern border some people feel that if you're going to be philanthropic and compassionate that you just need to bring everybody into this country. Just let them all come in. Is there a more logical way to look at this?
1: Well, look at New York City now. They're a victim of the open border. And the mayor just asked the federal government for $2 billion to handle the influx of immigrants What we have done is encourage people from all over the world to illegally enter the United States. And we have laws. And if this continues, which I don't think it will, I think that the backlash will be too much. But if uh, this were to continue, it would destroy the United States as we know it.
2: Yeah, there would be no sovereignty at all. And, you know, what worries me about it is there are countries like Iran that wish to destroy us. They see us as the great Satan. Why wouldn't they send their operatives through that southern border and begin to target some of our vital infrastructure like our electric grid and uh, really do some major damage to us? And I'm not sure that Everyone in our government understands the danger that's imposed by not having sovereignty there. We can still be compassionate. You know, I proposed a few years ago when I was running for president that we have a much more robust uh, guest worker program where people could come in. They could come and go as they pleased as long as they were law-abiding citizens and uh, law-abiding people, I should say, and they would register, they would pay taxes. And if they wanted to become an American citizen, they would go through the same thing that anybody else who wants to be an American citizen goes through. They don't get to jump the line. But in the meantime, you know, they can be improving their financial situation, helping their families back home, and uh, not breaking the law and destroying what will uh, eventually be a destruction of peace and tranquility in our society. If we bring everybody in, you just won't have a society, quite frankly. And so, it's
1: not only the the uh, downtrodden who are coming in. It's, it's criminals, it's drug dealers, and the coyotes that they call them who round up People to come in, charge them five or ten thousand dollars to get them across the border, are raking in billions of dollars. And the drugs that are coming in with them and the criminals that are coming in with them are very destructive to our country, to our population, and eventually will destroy us.
2: Going to be extremely costly. I don't think we even understand what costly means anymore. We throw these numbers around trillion. Does anybody really even understand what a trillion is? I mean, that's a thousand billion. If you were to try to count to a trillion, one number per second, which you can't do because it takes you longer than that when you get into the bigger numbers. But if you could, to count to one trillion, it would take over 53,000 years. So just to kind of put it into perspective, I mean, we are talking massive, massive amounts of money as a result of some of the things that we're doing. But uh, I want to ask you, what role does faith play in your life?
1: I believe in uh, essentially Christian principles, and they're not much different from Jewish principles or other religions around the world. And uh, I think if people live by them, that they will have a happy, successful life.
2: Absolutely. I mean, our Judeo-Christian values teach us to love your neighbor. Uh, When you get rid of those values, you get substitutions of things like cancel your neighbor if they don't agree with you or if they have a different yard sign than you have. And uh, that's creating a lot of malignancy in our society right now. And I think it is laying the groundwork for the total destruction of our society. And that's why we work so hard at American Cornerstone to try to change that. And I encourage everybody to get involved because if we just sit around and complain about it, it's not going to work. And if and if we're not willing to stand up for what we believe in, we're going to lose our society. You can't be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. You've you got to be willing to stand up. Sometimes you have to take some slings and arrows in the process. I can certainly testify to that. But somebody has to do it. And what if those who had preceded us? had just sort of said, well, eh, well, whatever will be, will be. We would not have this great nation that we have now. And uh, we have to be willing to, to fight for it and not let people manipulate us and make us think that we are each other's enemies. That is going to be one of the keys to our success. Now, I'd like to ask you, Charlie, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies?
1: Well, I've exercised all my life, and uh, handball was a hobby of mine until I was in my 60s, and that, that I think, kept me healthy and helped me keep my weight down, which I have to do by dieting now that I can't play active mm. sports like that anymore. I have played golf uh, not very well. It never Never was a passion for me, but as as you get older, there's not much else that you can do. <laughs> but I I enjoy golf, uh, but I don't I don't play all that often anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, my what what I do now for competition is play bridge.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: And bridge is a great great uh, uh, activity to keep you thinking and keep your mind active.
2: Well, before we depart, you know, you've lived 90 years, and you certainly don't look it and you certainly don't sound it. And I hope when I get to be 90 years old, I'm anywhere close to what you're doing. But um, we have a lot of people out there who are searching, uh, who are struggling, who are discouraged, who feel like giving up, who feel like America has seen its best days. What would be your parting words to those individuals?
1: I think having a job and working gives you pride. My father used to say, all work is honorable. He says, if you're going to be a janitor, try to be the best janitor that you can be. And uh, that was always good advice. And I think that not working is debilitating and destructive. And you lose all your confidence, and you're dependent, uh, which is a depressing uh, <laughs> situation. So I think I think uh, no matter what the job is, that people should work. Even if it's for charity, if they don't need the money.
2: There's value in work because you learn skills. You develop relationships. Opportunities are presented that you won't see sitting at home. And uh, I, I think what you just said is that's why you're where you are. Wisdom. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us here today, for imparting some of that wisdom to our audience And uh, for what you've done for American society over these last few decades and what your legacy will be, even when you're not here,
1: we very much appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. It's a pleasure being on your show. Okay. And we'll
2: be back with our parting assignment, your prescription for the new week. you to think about what you can do in your community, in your sphere, to improve the lives of other people. Just think about others first and see where that leads you. Because I believe that if you do that for a week, you're going to have a hard time stopping. And that will sort of become the modus operandi for your life. And, you know, that's where true happiness comes from. Uh, True happiness doesn't come from great wealth or fame. It comes from relevance. And that's how you make yourself relevant. Is the world and is your community a better place because you are there? That's a determination that you make. Nobody else gets to make that. And we'll be back again with you next week. Make sure you go to Spotify or any of the other places where you get your podcasts. You can go back and review all the ones that were done before, they're very inspirational. And uh, make sure you rate us and review us, tell your friends. And uh, let's do everything we can to bring common sense back to America. And remember those cornerstone principles, faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week.